I was lying on a, on a sun lounger in Turkey one day. Uh, on holiday. But, but God didn't know I was on holiday. And he still speaks to me lying on a sunbed. And I just want to talk to you about what he put on my heart. Uh, I want to talk about hope and desire. Uh, hope and desire. And, and I think, yeah, I'll just want to tell you a little bit of my story on some areas. I, I've, I've definitely experienced discouragement. Anybody in the room with me? Okay, there's a few people never have. You can pray for me later. Impart the no discouragement ability. That would be fantastic. Anybody had a you know, slash discouragement slash disappointment? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm talking to the right people then, okay. So some time back now, I, I, I had a birthday this week, so I'm feeling even older. Um, it's not true, actually. I'm feeling actually younger than ever. It's amazing. And, and I'll explain why in a minute. I've discovered access to the elixir of life. The subtext of this message is basically accessing eternal life. Now, I've got you intrigued. That's all I wanted to do. I'll come back to that in a minute. So, here I am going through life somewhere in the 1980s. Yes, I was alive then. I was an adult. God started to use me uh, and stuff was going on. God started to use me in, in healing. And we saw some amazing healings happen. And then, the, uh, and I've told some of you this story before, but that kind of reputation grew running healing meetings. And people who were really, really sick started to show up, expecting to get fixed. And we had two cancer uh, cases shot, really severe. One a baby, two years old, huge kind of growth on the neck. And a non-Christian family, they were just desperate. Basically, they were just desperate. And they came... And we prayed for this baby. We did everything we could do. And, and the baby died. And we sent flowers to the funeral. And, but they didn't want to know anything about God. And then we prayed. I got called out to pray for a, a Christian woman who was, who was riddled with cancer. I mean, it was the most amazing and bizarre experience in one go. We went into the house. The husband met us in the lounge and said, I just want you, I'll take you upstairs to see her in a minute. He said, I want you to know, I, I, I go to church, but I, I'm not really a believer. I don't believe this stuff. But my wife is, and uh, just come up and pray for her. And she's there, and she's on one of these machines that delivers regular doses of morphine, automatically laid out on a bed, riddled with tumors all over her body. We pray for her. The presence of God sweeps into the room. The unbelieving husband speaks in tongues. I have zero theology for that, but it happened right there in front of me. Uh, she experiences something, but again, she dies. And I, that really, as a, as a kind of young pastor, that really affected me. Um, and we were lifting up healing, and you know, we were praying for people, and they were dying. And, and something happened to me. On Disappointment got a grip. Discouragement got a grip. And, and started to fade in my enthusiasm for praying for the sick at that point. However... You know, God's gifts are without repentance. He doesn't take them away. And even sometimes reluctantly, I'd pray for people. We had my family, so you remember Penny, who lived with us. I've told you this story. She, she was riddled with uh, pain in her joints through her upbringing, asked me to pray. I managed to put it off for several weeks. Eventually, we managed to pray with her. 
Uh, and over the next, she used to come in from work so tired that she couldn't even walk up the one flight of stairs to her room. Uh, and we heard her one day bouncing the guy's basketball in our backyard because she always wore wrist supports, her hips ached, her knees were problematic, her wrists and elbows, her whole body was just, every joint ached all the time, so she was tired. Uh, and, and she started to tell us that after we prayed, all the pain left her joints. And now for the last week, she'd been running home from work. She'd been practicing with Luke's basketball to see if her wrists were working. Basketball's quite heavy. She was completely healed from top to bottom. And I'd played with zero faith and expectation. I was still in that place of discouragement and not much hope going on. But God just did stuff. So time for time, things happen. And then Nick and I, it's nearly five years ago, September, we went out to, and still wanted it, still prayed for it, still believed for it, but really just sporadic, occasional things going on. Deep down there was this kind of bit of a lead weight of disappointment lodged somewhere inside me. And uh, yeah, nearly five years ago, Nick and I went out to Bethel for a week, and and I, I, I came back, and I saw what was happening in that church and in that environment in that city how people were getting I wanted to go and see was it really happening not just here a conference and I saw that they were going out people were getting healed on the streets the whole atmosphere of the place was just kind of impregnated with the presence of God you could literally feel it I could literally feel it walking in the room I was having visions I was, I was accessing heaven was just that easy um, and I came back and I thought I'm going after this again and again I've told the story I remember doing that some of you are here and I had an appeal, and nobody came out. There were sick people in the room, but we had zero expectation that anything... You know, that, that's what happens when you have appeals, but there's no expectation. But I ended up getting called to someone in the coffee queue, uh, and they, it was their first time here. He's still around Daniel. I'm not sure he's here today. And his back got healed, and that was like, yay! And we've been off and running ever since. And I, I was telling my story, a little bit of this story, to Donna De Silva. You remember that she came with her team and did Shifting Atmospheres. And this was maybe a year or so back. I was chatting with her. She said, yeah, you got your hope back. And that wasn't what I expected her to say. In my world, someone would have said to me, well, you got your faith back. But she said, I got my hope back. And do you know, something kind of goes, A, I didn't expect it. But there's something with God on this, and it's, I've been thinking about it for ever since. And there I am, lying, yes, on a sunbed <laughs> in Turkey on holiday. And God starts to speak to me about this. So there's two, two scriptures I want us to look at, uh, and, and we'll, we'll kind of get into this whole idea of, of hope and desire. Um, the, first, the first one is Romans 15:13, which we've looked at briefly before. Romans 15:13. It describes. It says this: <clears throat> "May the God of hope." So it describes God as a God of hope, which should tell you that biblical hope is different to the sort of hope language that we commonly use in our culture. So, to us in our culture, hope is much more linked to to wishfulness or good luck. You know, so you know someone hasn't revised their, their exams. They've you know, scraped through to this point, and then you say, you know, well, I hope you do well in your finals. Yes, yes. Do, do you know what I mean? It's kind of a, I hope you get lucky and pass a few tests. Or 
someone's a really, really bad driver, and you thought you go into the the exam and they're like, oh, I hope you get it, and you know, another fail. Do, do you know what I mean? That's how we kind of talk about hope, and we hope our team will do well, and we hope, and then they don't. Whichever team it is, or um, I did have a hope that England would do better. I had a hope that Newcastle United would do better, but they were just ill-founded hopes <laughs> of a misguided Englishman supporting football teams. But you see, th- that kind of hope is more of a wish. It's not really founded and much substantial. So surely God can't. If God is the God of all hope, I mean, if he hopes his team is going to win, it's jolly well going to win. Do you not think? I want to find out who he supports. So God, the the scripture says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's a God of hope, and he's expecting us to be filled with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Actually, this kind of hope you can only get supernaturally, because it's not wishful hope. It's not insubstantial. It's not without foundation or reason. It's actually a solid expectation of good, is what, if you study this out, biblical hope is a solid conviction and expectation of good. Biblical hope is going to happen. It just isn't here yet. It's something coming up, something in the future. So the God of hope is going to fill you with the Holy Spirit and power so that you can overflow with hope. So what that tells us is if there's areas of our life where there is no hope, maybe that's an opportunity to get more filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have any hope for this. I don't have any hope for that. I don't have any hope. If there's hopelessness present, that's just an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come on you in more power to fill you with more hope. That was a good word. The power of the Holy Spirit is an endless supply of hope, of confident expectation of good. Where the Holy Spirit is present, there is hope. The constant energizing of our lives by the Spirit, one of the fruits of that is going to be hope. Buoyancy, expectation of good from a good God. And I believe that's one of the things God's doing amongst us, has been doing amongst us, is lifting our hope. Even Ken's testimony this morning, tough times, difficult times, but something, promises of God, hope started to spark and then things begin to change. Another verse, we're going to unpack this a little bit more. Proverbs 13 verse 12. Oft quoted in Christian circles, but I've begun to realize whilst lying on my sunbed in Turkey... I went to Turkey on my holidays. I've quoted and I've misunderstood. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but longing or desire fulfilled is a tree of life. 
And lots of us can go, hope deferred makes a heart sick. Yeah, that's what, and we read into that, what he's saying is when the thing you want or desire doesn't happen, disappointment sets in and your heart goes flat and sick and shrivels. Does that, that make sense? I'm not sh- that's what I used to think it said. But I'm not sure that is actually what it, it doesn't say desire deferred makes a heart sick. It says hope deferred makes a heart sick. Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It's not saying when you don't get what you've been expecting, you're automatically going to have a sick heart. When the thing, the object of your desire, the object of your hope does not happen, that is disappointing, but that isn't the thing that makes your heart sick. Which is, I used to think that's what it was saying, is when I don't get the thing I'm hoping for, then my heart's just going to be sick. And it's almost like an automatic connection from which there is no recovery. And if you live, the longer you live, the more disappointments you have, the sicker your heart becomes. It's just life, isn't it? The more you go on, the more things don't work out. The more you live in a fallen world, the more you, you, you hope and something doesn't happen. I mean... After a little while, you just think, I'm just not going to even hope anymore because the pain of getting a sick heart from hoping is too great now. So I'm going to shrink my expectations to keep my heart safe. Is this making sense to you? This is kind of, but that isn't what, that's what I thought this verse is saying, but it isn't what this verse is saying. It's deferring hope. That makes your heart sad, not not get not the get the delay it or not receiving what you thought you would you desired to receive. Hmm. Hmm. What does that? It's hope postponed. I'm 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 not a Hebrew scholar, but I was looking up it, it, one use of the word hope is, is, is sorry postponed or, or delayed or <clears throat> deferred is dragged off so what's going to make your heart sick is postponing your hope is delaying your hope is deferring your hope is deciding this is so negative that I'm, I'm not. I'm just going to stop hoping. I'll put the pause button on hope, and maybe I'll reactivate hope at a future date when circumstances are more benign, or more positive, or more hopeful. Then, oh, it's looking hopeful, so I'll get some hope. That's deferring your hope. It's like, well, this is hopeless, so I'll hit my hoping the pause button on my hoping mechanism and I'll wait for a time where maybe I can hope again because things look a bit rosier. That can be never. Because what's happening is we're saying my hope has been deflated by my circumstances and I'm waiting for my circumstances to reinflate my hope. Yeah? That, that's kind of... I'm just, this is how I was kind of functioning anyway. And that's just a normal process. Your heart gets sick because your hope gets disappointed. But I think what he's saying here is actually you, at, the, at the moment of disappointment, you have a choice. 
And the choice is, do you let your hope get dragged out of you? Do you defer it or do you keep hold of your hope despite of your circumstances? So the message of the circumstances may be not connected, maybe completely opposite to what you are hoping. But there's an opportunity to not defer your hope even if everything's going down the pan. Hope stays alive. It's only when you let go and defer hope that your heart gets sick. The thing that's making your heart sick and my heart sick is deferring my hope, not having disappointing circumstances. It's hope deferred that's making lots of Christians' hearts sick. And, and the state of our heart is really, really important because we're, we're told to look after our heart in Proverbs 4. Keep your heart with all vigilance because from it flow the wellsprings of life. So if you keep allowing pain into your heart, keep allowing sickness into your heart, your ability to do life with a spring in your step life to flow out of you gets inhibited because sickness is blighting your heart. Now, I'm not talking about the organ that pumps blood around your body. The biblical idea of heart is the seat of your desires and your will and your affections. It's something we kind of point down here because you feel it somewhere here. It's not just what's going on in your head. This is not just a brain thing, although the brain thoughts are involved with this. But sickness in the heart affects your ability to be in a place of life and energy and momentum and expectation. Yeah? And what causes that is losing your hope, not having a bad day. And we are charged in Proverbs to look after, we have the ability, we are powerful enough to look after our heart. We are not at the whim of what's going on. The condition of our heart is, we're not, we're not victims to our heart, our heart is not a victim to our circumstances. We have, power, we have power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the ability in us to look after our heart and keep it full of hope even when everything else is getting flushed. And that's really important because it's with the heart that you believe. Not with the head. And it's interesting in Hebrews 11 it says that, that faith, which is what I thought I'd lost, is the conviction of things hoped for. It's the guarantee or the down payment of things not seen. Faith is the conviction of stuff you're hoping for. So to get faith, you've got to have hope first. And to get hope, you've got to have a heart that's not all sick. So hope is like, it's like the, the incubator. It's like the environment inside of you that nurtures faith to life. And what this is saying to us is don't allow your circumstances to steal your hope. To shut the incubator off. Because as that environment shuts down, your ability to believe goes, declines with it. So, so to sort of rephrase it, 
this verse, hope or the expectation of good postponed, put off to another point in the future or dragged out of you makes your heart sick. Don't allow yourself to say, I'll hope or expect another day. Now I'll just be disappointed. Disappointment does not have to rule the condition of my heart. Disappointments come. Difficult things happen. Stuff we want now is delayed. That can rule our hearts, but it does not have to. That can puncture our hope, but it does not have to. Because the source of our hope is God's hope by the Holy Spirit. That's what we read at the beginning, isn't it? That we will be filled with hope, not because everything's going great, but because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're connected to a God who's full of hope. So God's not sitting there thinking, I'm hoping I'm going to win this thing on the planet. Like I maybe hoped I'd pass my driving test, but didn't. God's not, he's, he's, he, he is full of hope. Rosy hope. Glowing hope. Optimistic, full expectation that what he believes about the future and thinks about the future is going to happen. It's not like, ah, failed. Oh, sorry, Christians. You know, I told you a really good story, and I really hope the best for the planet. But, you know, I was wrong. If that's the God that I'm believing in, he's not God, is he really? But sometimes we can get into that kind of thinking about God, like, well, God, God, you know, there's a good chance that God will win. Win. <laughs> There's no chance that anybody else will win. And we're connected to him. So our whole worship was about heaven coming to earth. We're being reorientated from where does our hope come from? We're being reorientated to what governs our reality. We're being reorientated to who, who, who governs the mood of my heart. Is it earth or is it heaven? What this is saying is I'm plugged into Holy Spirit and I have the ability to sustain hope through all kinds of earthly mess. And God has the ability to restore my hope despite however much history of earthly mess. The confident expectation of good for your life can be restored by plugging into the power of the Holy Spirit. Your future is not a good, sorry, your past is not a, the indication of your future. Whatever did happen is not going to keep happening because there is a God in heaven who is full of hope for you and has good plans for you. There's nowhere in the Bible I can find where God says, come to me because I've got plans to totally mess your life up. He says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Hmm. 
God seems to love to actually work the opposite way to the way we'd like him to do it. Imagine with me for a moment that you're on the Apostle Paul's apostolic team. Oh, that's got to feel good, hasn't it, right there? I'm with the Apostle Paul. Maybe he doesn't know right now that he is the great Apostle Paul. He's just doing what he thinks he should do. But there you are, you're on his team. And you, you, you're on this, this evangelistic church planting signs and wonders mission. And, and Paul says, I think we should go, we should, we should go into to Asia. And for some reason the Bible says they couldn't get into Asia. And then they try and go into another place. And it says the Holy Spirit prevented them. doesn't explain how. And they're like, Paul, you don't know what you're doing. We can't get in there. We've got no visas for there. And then, and then Paul has a dream. And you're like, oh, yeah, great. Of a man of Macedonia calling them across. So the team being the team, and they honor the, they honor the leadership really well despite two strikes out so off they get on a boat across the sea and off they go and then they arrive and what happens they get thrown in jail you know Silas is with Paul and they're thrown in the deepest darkest central dungeon and do not imagine this is ensuite facilities this is ensuite rats but what are they doing they're singing and praising and worshipping that doesn't make any sense Unless your hope is connected to somewhere else other than your circumstances. And, and we witness a supernatural jailbreak on the back of these guys. Not surrendering their hope to their circumstances. The Bible's full of it. The people led out of Egypt, out of slavery. And there's Moses. He's leading them forward and marching on. And incredible miracles have already happened. And then God leads them right up to the Red Sea, this mighty sea. And behind them is this angry army. And they're sandwiched between the two. And there is no way out. And God says, just lift up your staff. And the sea part. So uh, up to that point, up to that critical point, all the circumstances were desperately negative. Angry army, big deep sea, a million people with kids and all sorts of paraphernalia. But God sets it up so that the, the circumstances look hopeless, but connected to the God of hope, there's hope. There's tons of stories like that. The cross. What a story. Good job God believes that he wins. Otherwise we wouldn't be here today. Jesus Christ crucified. What it must have been like for him, he's getting whipped. First, you know, he's falsely accused. That's pretty bad circumstances. People lie. That's pretty bad circumstances. About him, pretty bad circumstances. Then they whip him. That's pretty bad circumstances. Can you, I mean, this is not going, this is not a good day. It's not going this way, it's going this way. And then they nail him to a cross. Everything looks like it's the end. And it's actually the beginning of the invasion of heaven 
to earth and God rewriting history, God re- rewiring the whole mess. That moment of negativity was filled with hope for the whole planet. Makes some of our bad days look like small beer, eh? So hope, the biblical hope is fundamentally connected to God and not our circumstances. We can't read him through them. That's a mistake that often we've all made. It's like, oh, God's not working in my life. Look at this mess. Actually, it could be working right there for the biggest breakthrough you have ever had. You just, if you're looking only at your circumstances, you can't see it. Because it's not there. It's there. You have the power to keep hope alive in your heart regardless of your circumstances. You don't have to defer hope. In fact, this, is, this scripture is a warning to not do it. It's, it's a warning so that you keep your heart good. It's a warning saying, look, if you do this, don't let your heart be ruled by events. Let it be ruled by heaven. Let it be ruled by the promises. Let it be ruled by the love of the Father. Let it be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I talk to people and say, but you must face reality. Why? (laughs) Yes, but you, you could be deceived. And? Yes, but you're ignoring, you're ignoring the reality. No, I'm just, I'm just more aware of another reality. And we often wheel out about Abraham. He faced the facts. But he believed God. There's another bit to that verse. Without wavering in unbelief, he faced the facts. Which means he had another perspective. Facing, in, facing reality doesn't mean, doesn't justify me having an inner emotional collapse. I'm just being real. I'm just being hopeless because my circumstances are hopeless. We need people around us that stir us to look to Heavenly Father. Is, it, is this helping anybody? I think testimonies are incredible for re-sparking hope. That's one of the reasons we do them. Because life has a way of coloring out heaven. It can, it can kind of, if you're looking at life, it can kind of color out as if there are no other options other than nothing happening. And then you hear somebody who did get the breakthrough with the thing you were once hoping to have the breakthrough in. And something inside you can go, yay! If they did it, and God did it for them, it can happen for me. That's a good thought 
That's a really good thought. Hold on to that thought. Teach yourself to have that thought every time you hear of someone else's breakthrough. Don't go, well, it was good for them, wasn't it? But here I am, all in my hopelessness. Well, nice for you, your holiday in Turkey. But you know, I'm going to wigwams at Tindrum in the rain. Nice for you. Oh, great to hear about your breakthrough with healing. Good, yeah, good for you that your ear opened, but you know, oh, I've had a bad back for the last 40 years. Nice for you. It'd be great when it happens to me, maybe. But that's, that's not good. That's like, that's, that's cutting the nerve of what God's actually wanting to do for us. I really need a holiday. They've got a holiday. That means I could get a holiday. Their ear got healed. I've had back pain for 40 years. That means I could get healed. The same God. And he doesn't have favorites, but all his favorites. Can't enjoy other people's breakthrough. But on the inside go, yay, if that can happen for them, it can happen for me. My business could expand by 70%. That's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> I love hearing testimonies. Here's a testimony for me. In the 80s when all this stuff was going on, I thought we've got to be able to do this on the street. I remember praying for the sick on the street with zero results. And it's even more embarrassing you know, accosting someone. I remember accosting someone with a hearing aid on a shopping street and going, God loves to hear you and prayed for him and nothing happened. It's embarrassing. But I just believed it could happen. And then it all kind of died away. And then all this stuff starts to happen. I remember going out with Jan McFarlane and some others and we walked. I walked up and down with them on, uh, on Buchanan Street. Everybody we saw with a, with a, with a crutch, with a... Anybody that looks sick, we went over and we interrupted them and said, excuse me, Jesus, can, hear, we pray, can we pray for you? I personally saw no breakthrough. And it was one of my scariest moments where, where we'd done a treasure hunt and Jan McFarlane said, well, I, I've got a clue of a red coat, which I, I had, and I've got the corner where Lush used to be and TGIs. So let's go, we want to pray for, that someone who's sick will be there with a red coat in that location. So off we walk and... There's a guy with crutches. We're like, yay. So together we walk over towards the guy. He's got a red coat on. He's near lush. We walk over to the guy. And the reason he's got crutches is he only has one leg. <laughs> now remember, I'm the leader here. Okay, I'm the pastor of this church. Jan, powerful woman alongside me. But I'm like, at this particular moment in time, I'm like, well, maybe this isn't our treasure for the day. <laughs> Not sure I have faith for a whole leg to grow right here. And Jan's like, why not? You know what she's like. She's amazing. She's like, why not? If we don't pray, it'll never happen. <laughs> so we went over and we prayed and he had hep C and, he had, and we prayed everything and nothing happened. I walked up and down there and prayed. Nothing happened, nothing happened. 
seen amazing stuff. You've heard some of our stories. Amazing stuff happen. But on the street, I have to say, Mike, I've, I've scored zero. I've tried hard. I've looked a fool a lot. All right? It's been scary all the time. Just want you to know that. Whether it looks like it on the outside, on the inside, it's scary. Then Kevin comes over and what some of you feared did come upon us. He sent us out onto the street to do treasure hunts in the afternoon. And, and I foolishly volunteered to lead a team. Which The thing is, being a church leader, you, there's no good excuse you can come up with to not lead people. He said, you're going to lead a team, aren't you? Yes, of course, Kevin, I'm going to lead a team. Doing treasure hunting on the streets. I'm full of confidence. I'm God's man of faith and power for breakthrough on the streets. I've never seen anybody heal on the streets. (laughs) And and I get given given three three people to go with me on a team, and we ended up pairing up, and a couple of them uh, ended up just ministering to some down-and-out guy and doing a wonderful job. And I'm with this other guy, with his list of clues, and we're walking around, and it is tipping down with rain. And we've been walking for an hour, and, and this guy was not super excited at the beginning of the treasure hunt. <laughs> so I was hoping to, you know, really be in like nice sparky team with lots of people who are really up for it, and I'd just be carried along on their wave of faith and enthusiasm. That's what I was hoping for. What I got was, I'm walking around more after an hour, I'm like, this is up to me, isn't it, God? Yep. Yep. Oh, and I'm getting disappointed. I, 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 I can feel that feeling coming on the inside. Do you know that? No, oh, it's not going to work today. I was almost like, let's just walk for another 15 minutes. In my head, I'm going, we'll, we'll go in, we'll go in the, the Argyle Street Tunnel, stay out of the rain, and then go back and just, it was just one of those days. But I've been learning to not let disappointment take a grip. And I'm starting, no, I'm going to hire I'm going to work with this guy and work with you, Jesus, and we're going to get this guy's clues. I mean, by this point, he's, you could feel his heart is in his shoes. So we go in the station, and he'd got a couple of clues, and he was also the sort of person who has been super fussy about the clues. Like, he had, a, he had yellow shoes, and it was like it had to be a certain yellow. Is this yellow shoes? No, it's the wrong yellow. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> And dyed, dyed red hair on a woman. Well, there's a woman with red hair. No, wrong red. So I'm like, oh, this is really tricky to manage. So we get in the station, and I see a family group. One of the kids has got yellow trainers. There's a guy, two women, both with dyed red hair, different shades. I'm like, I'm going for this. I don't care if he agrees with them or not. So look, look at the clues. So we drag ourselves over there and say, look, we've done a treasure hunt, and they're dead open, and it's so cool. And one of the women, I said, we just, is there anything we can pray for? Yeah, we need a house. They just got chucked out of their house, the one couple with the kids. So we prayed, and they were so appreciative. They got their meet, meeting for their house in two days' time. And I said, any of you got any sickness? Oh, no, I'm good, I'm good. And then this other lady said, well, actually, I've got, I've got back pain. You know, I suffer a bit with my back. So then you go, okay, how bad is it really right now? Oh, it was an eight. All right, ten's really bad, zero. So, well, God's healing backs all the time. We're going to pray for you right now. She's looking at me. Her eyes are getting wider and wider on Central Station. She's just like, you're going to pray for me. Okay, uh, what do I do? Just, 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 is all right? I've put my hand on you yet. So we prayed and I've got my mate there and he's like, we prayed. And then she starts to, I don't know, it's Holy Spirit, but it looks more like embarrassment. Because I said, well, okay, test it out. She's like, so why is it now? It's four. 
I was like, yes, four. That's four down, only four to go. We've already got four. We can easily get another four. So she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'm praying again. Anyway, all the pain leaves. She's kind of doing this in the street. And she's so embarrassed. God just healed her in Central Station. And it happened to me for the first time. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. That's been a long wait. <laughs> so some of you are thinking, when's it going to happen? That was like 1986 till now. How, I worked that out. Yeah, I'm now God's man of healing, faith, and power on the street. <laughs> so I prayed. She, I noticed then she'd got a hearing aid. So I said, can I pray for your ear? She's, she's so completely flustered by this whole thing that... She can't refuse, but she doesn't know what to do. So we pray. So just check it out later. So I'm like, yes. Exciting, exciting. So testimonies kindle hope, stir hope. That could be your testimony. If you're sitting there saying, I've seen nothing happen. Take mine. Have that. Don't sit there going, well, that's all right for you. You're a pastor. You're supposed to do that stuff. I've been supposed to be doing that since 1986. When Kevin comes back, if he comes back, I am volunteering early to lead a team. You'll have to remind me of that when he comes. <laughs> Testimonies kindle hope. There is a, you have a decision to make on the inside. I could have gone, oh, it's a rainy day. I'm feeling bored. I'm tired. I've organized this whole conference. I have the right to not expect God to do anything here. I have the right to stay inside my comfort zone. You know, I'm already taking a risk inviting this guy. Come on, I'm doing all this spiritual stuff anyway, God. Just pass, pass on the treasure hunt. So glad I didn't. So glad I didn't. <coughs> oh, my goodness. I only did half the message. It was obviously the important half. How long have I got? <laughs> Two minutes. Okay. <laughs> Depends which clock. We, we do need to synchronize watches here. <sighs> huh? Yeah, I know, but mine says different to his, says different to his. So we're working on, I've got about a minute, I think. The more I'm talking about how much time I've got, the less time I have. <laughs> It's a good job there is a God, because I need a lot of help. You can tell, can't you? (laughs) So a heart full of hope is a healthy heart. (laughs) I haven't got time to say again. (laughs) Download the message. A heart full of hope is a healthy heart. Encounters with the Holy Spirit give you hope. All these encounters we've been having, welcome and get more of them. Because they give you hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, be full of hope. Because when something outside of you, His presence, which is outside your understanding, invades your life, suddenly you start to believe that the impossible could be possible, the incurable could be curable, like we were hearing in the song this morning. The second bit of the verse, one minute. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Desire fulfilled 
is the tree of life. Oh, I don't think I can do this in a minute. But des- your desires are important. Because they access the tree of life. The tree of life appears three times in the Bible. Once in Genesis, and a, flaming, a cherubim with a flaming sword is put there so that we can't eat it, so that we'll live forever. And then it's in the heavenly city at the end in Revelation. And then it's mentioned four times in Proverbs only. And this is one of them. So in Genesis, you'd have to fight a cherubim with a flaming sword to get to the tree of life. Here, all you've got to do is get your desires fulfilled and you're accessing the tree of life. The tree that gives you life, that extends your physical life. The tree that gives you healing, because its leaves are for healing of the nations. The tree that is actually eternally always fruitful. It doesn't have a season. It's always bearing fruit. This, this right here, connecting your desires, seeing your desires fulfilled, is crucial to accessing life. Your desires access, it's the fulfillment of your desires that bring heaven to earth. I need to get your children. Your desires are important. And that's why it's important that our sick hearts, we don't allow our hearts to become permanently sick because that, they are the home, that is our home of our desires. And God needs and wants our desires to be fulfilled so that more of heaven can come to earth. (laughs) That's us done. I have to unpack that another time. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Lizzie. (laughs) That's me done. Let's unpack that another time.